Hey, way to take a hint. All right, no, that's good. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you guys. Wow, with all that said, Aaron's like, we're barely into 2021, but the truth is we just have six more weeks till Easter, which is kind of crazy, right? Six weeks till Easter, which means we are in the season of Lent. Last Wednesday which was Ash Wednesday, which starts um, the period before uh, you know, we celebrate Easter. And so that is coming up. I just want to give a shout out to my core group. We're doing this really great study called Journey to the Cross um, for this whole season of Lent. Uh, and we were talking about how sometimes like Christmas is such a hoopla, but Easter isn't always such a hoopla. And so but it's like a huge deal, right? And so I just really encourage you guys uh, to dive into a Bible app, get with a core group, do some studying, um, you know, take this journey with Jesus to the cross because um, it's a really powerful time um, for all of us, obviously for our history. Um, I'm really excited today. We are talking about John 16. So if you want to find that in your Bibles, John 16, starting in verse 16. Um, these are Jesus's kind of like final words, like his last conversation with his disciples before before he gets arrested and is sent to the cross. And so this is um, a really powerful moment. So let me say a quick prayer and then we'll dive in. So God, I thank you that you are good. And I thank you that we have these rhythms of things to celebrate. We celebrate Christmas that you were born and we celebrate Easter, Lord, that you went to the cross and that you died and that you resurrected. And God, please help us to not um, fall into the the rhythm and like it's a mundane thing, but help that rhythm, Lord, help us, Lord, drive us to you and near to your heart and, and help us to know that, um, that we are a part of your story, God. And uh, I just pray that you would um, just reach out to all of us, Lord, and help us to um, walk with you and take this journey with you and, uh, and that we would be your disciples um, as we take this journey. Uh, Lord, speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So the gist of what Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's like pretty much got the guys gathered around and he's like, okay, guys, he's like, this is about to get really bad. He said, but don't worry, take heart. It's about to get really good after that. Okay. And so this is how he starts off. He says, okay, I'm about to die. You are all going to fail. And this is all going to be brutal. And so it's not like his best pep talk, like at this point, right? I'm going to die you're all going to fail. This is going to be brutal. But he says, soon, soon, everything will change. And soon, like everything will finally become clear. And all of the pain and all of the suffering that you and I are about to endure, it's all going to turn into a lifetime, like in an actual eternal lifetime of joy and celebration. And so he says, listen, like what looks like and what is going to feel like a huge loss is really a huge win forever. And so Jesus is explaining to them and he's teaching us once again that in the kingdom of God, things aren't always as they seem. And that is so important for us to know that in the kingdom of God, things are not always as they seem. Kingdom truth often contradicts our worldly thought, right? Kingdom wisdom is different from worldly wisdom. That's what he's been teaching us all along, teaching us things that seem so backwards, like, like to become a leader, you must become a servant, right? To become first, you, you must become last. To become rich, you must become poor. And he taught so many things like that. And today we're going to see four more things that he's teaching us. Again, these kingdom truths that seem so backwards, but they're so essential to our faith. And number one, we're going to look at that he is teaching that death brings life, that grief brings joy, that failure brings grace, 
and that winning is believing. That's what we're gonna look at today, starting in John 16. We're gonna start with verse 20. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. So he's warning them. You're gonna weep and you're gonna mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. And so again, he's telling them like, I am about to die. And again, they don't really have a grid for this, okay? But he's like, you are going to have a, a, a lot of sorrow. There is going to be grieving. There's gonna be mourning. And this world is gonna think that the, the world has won. The ruler of the world is gonna think game over. Jesus is gone. This thing is done. But the kingdom is truth. And the kingdom reality is that death brings life. That death brings life, that Jesus's death on that cross brings us life. And so what looks like a loss on that cross is really a huge win. You guys, that's the gospel. John 3, 16, we know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. You guys, this kingdom reality, this reality that death brings life is something that Jesus has been teaching a lot Earlier in John 12, he taught about this illustration of a kernel of wheat, and it's such a good illustration. In verse 23, he says, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. Now, for a while, he's been like prepping the disciples, like this is what's going to happen. And he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. And so Jesus is reminding them that death has a purpose, that his death will bring a harvest of life. And he says, just like a kernel of wheat has to die to produce more wheat, he says, I am gonna have to die in order to give eternal life to all of God's people. And so he's teaching, number one, that his death will ultimately bring life, but number two, that we too, as his followers, will also have to die so that others will have life as well. You see, that this kingdom truth, it doesn't just apply to Jesus, but it applies to his followers as well as his followers. We are called to die to ourselves. We are called to risk our lives, to give up our plans, to make all the necessary sacrifices that we need to make so that other people can hear the gospel, so that they can believe in Jesus and be given eternal life. Guys, that's what the disciples did. I mean, they gave up everything in order to spread the gospel. They knew Jesus right? They gave up everything to follow Jesus, but then they gave everything to not only know him, but to make him known. And they all ended up being the greatest missionaries, and they ended up dying for the sake of the gospel. We are called to die to ourselves. Guys, in the kingdom of God, death brings life, period. I'm going to make fun of Aaron, period, right? Death brings life, period, right? Jesus had to die in order for us to live. You and I are called to die to ourselves in order for others to live, but that sounds so extreme. Like, what does it mean to die to ourselves? And for most of us, it probably won't mean dying a martyr's death. It just means like dying to ourselves in these simple everyday ways. It doesn't always mean selling everything you have and moving to a different country, right? Sometimes it can be as simple as serving in kids' church, even when you don't feel like it. You're dying to yourself so that other kids can hear the gospel, Sometimes it means, you know, driving your kids or their friends to youth group, even though you don't feel like it and you don't want to drive all over town, but you're doing it so that other people can hear the gospel. 
It means giving financially to the church when there's a million things you could spend that money on. But you're doing that. You're dying to yourself so that others will hear the gospel. Sometimes it's just risking embarrassment or criticism or rejection, right? Of of just telling someone the gospel or inviting someone to church and you're doing that so that they will hear the gospel. Sometimes it's bringing a meal to someone, but you're doing that so they can hear the gospel. Guys, these small deaths, they really do bring life. It is when we die to ourselves, it's when we're not selfish and self-seeking, but we're out concerned for others and wanting others to hear the gospel. That's what it means to die to ourselves. That's what it means to put ourselves last. Death brings life. Number two, grief brings joy. So Jesus says in John 16, verse 21, he says, it will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. So again, Jesus is warning them that, that they are all about to suffer a lot of pain now, but soon, soon there will be so much good and so much life and so much joy that will come that it will all be worth it in the end. And he gives this example of childbirth, which I love that he gives this example because I know some of you rare women maybe enjoyed the childbirth experience. I am not one of those people. I hated every second of it. Like, sorry, children, love you. Hated the birthing experience, the pregnancy, the whole thing, right? To me, it was just a means to an end. Like I had high hopes, right? That, that everything that I was going to have to endure was not going to be anything compared to the joy of having kids. Now, thankfully, I was right. That's why, more, that's why people have more than one baby, right? It's not because it's all so fun. It's because it's all so worth it. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, this is not going to be fun, guys. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. But listen, it's going to be worth it. And again, the disciples, they didn't really know what was about to happen, but Jesus knew. He knew that they were about to suffer so much, like a depth of grief, right, that they had never known before. Because not only were they going to have to watch Jesus, someone they loved and trusted and cared for, die this excruciating and brutal death on the cross, but all that that meant, like like the the amount of doubt and, and darkness and hopelessness of it all. Like the fact that Jesus died, I mean, they're thinking like, is this, is this over? What did it all mean? I don't understand. He knew that his death was going to devastate them. But that's why he said, you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Again, no one's ever been resurrected from the dead. They had no idea what he was talking about. But he says, I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one will rob you of that joy. So Jesus is reminding them, this is not the end. I will see you again. And then sure enough, that's exactly what happens. After Jesus died, he rose from the grave and he physically appeared to them. He actually appeared to hundreds, if not thousands of people in the span of 40 days so that they would all see and they would believe. And guys, once they saw him, they believed. I mean, they saw them with their own eyes, right? They saw them with their own eyes and all of their devastation just turned into complete joy. A joy, he says, like that no one's ever experienced. A joy no one could ever rob them of. Because here's the thing, when they saw him alive, they realized that everything they had hoped for was true, you know, they saw that, that he really is the Lord, that there really is eternal life, that this world really isn't all there is, that death really has lost its sting, that there really is hope for the sinner, that there, that there really is better to come. 
I mean, like when they saw Jesus before their eyes, it was just, they were looking at living, breathing proof of all that they hoped would be true. And they realized like, it's really true. It's really true. And no one can ever rob them of that joy. That's what changed them so incredibly. Acts 1.3, it says, after his suffering, he presented to them sorry, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 1.10 says, and, and now he has made all this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. Guys, guys, when the disciples saw Jesus again, with their own eyes, all of their grief turned into incredible joy. They realized that death really did bring life, and that led them to go on to be incredible missionaries, which leads us to number three. Failure brings grace. In the kingdom of God, failure brings grace. So he says in verse 28, he says, yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. And I love this. The disciples said this, at last you are speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything and there's no need to question you. From this, we believe that you came from God. In verse 31, Jesus asked, do you finally believe? But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. So this is like this incredible moment where apparently the disciples have this like aha moment, right? The light bulb goes off and they're like, oh, now we get it, right? Now you're speaking plainly. And Jesus is like, oh, really? Like now you believe? He said, well, the truth is soon you're all gonna leave me and you're totally gonna scatter and be um, just hiding in fear. And it's like, well, that's kind of a buzzkill. Like, they were so excited. Like, we finally get it. He's like, yeah, no. And because this is exactly what happens, right? He tells them that this is going to happen. You're all going to leave me alone. You're all going to scatter. And it seems like he's just raining on their parade or he's just throwing it in their face, but that's not what he's doing. The beauty of this statement is that Jesus is telling them, you are going to fail me. You are going to let me down. You're going to let me down now. You're going to let me down a whole bunch of times. You're going to fail all the time, but I love you anyways. So it's like he's saying before the fact, he's like, this is not going to go well. You're probably going to deny me. This is all going to go bad. But listen, I'm going to tell you now because, I, you know, I won't be here then at that moment. I'm going to tell you now, listen, I, will, I love you anyways. I choose you anyways. You are not a mistake. Despite all of your shortcomings and all of your fail, failures, I will always be there and I will meet every one of your failures with grace. And every time, every time, Jesus is saying, I will help you like get up, dust yourself off and keep going and keep going. Guys, we see evidence of this when Jesus appeared to Peter after his resurrection. I mean, Peter had just denied even knowing Jesus three times in a row. And I'm sure he must have been like so ashamed of his failure of nerve. But then Jesus goes and he offers him grace. He met his failure with his grace. And not only did Jesus forgive him in that moment, but he like recommissioned him in a sense. You know, he's like, I still choose you. It's okay. There's grace for that. My grace is sufficient for you. I still choose you. And he recommissions him, reminding him that you are not to be a fisherman. Remember? He pulls him off the lake. He's like, this isn't what you're supposed to do. Remember, you're not supposed to be a fisherman anymore. You're supposed to go be a fisher of man. 
You're supposed to go out and love the world and preach and teach the gospel. And guys, that's what Peter went on to do. That's what Peter went on to do. Did he fail? Yes. Did he fail a lot? Yes. But every time he failed, Jesus gave him the love and the grace and the forgiveness that he needed over and over again. And that led Peter to become one of the greatest missionaries of all time. He went from failing Jesus and being scattered that day to serving Jesus with all that he had to the point of being martyred on his final day. God's grace is powerful. And when we will let him and his grace speak to our failures, guys, that is powerful. We see over and over again in scripture that God continually used weak and imperfect people to do incredible things for his kingdom. That's how we know that he can use us, right? He has this track record of like, well, I mean, he used Peter, right? <laughs> he used that guy. He, used that. Like, he, can, he can use me too. I read this author um, point out this pretty cool thing. He said, it's a tribute to a musician when he can take an imperfect instrument and use it to to play great music. And I was talking to David about that. And he's like, that's absolutely true. And I'm sure he can do it, even though he would never say it. But it is a tribute to a musician to be able to like do amazing things with an imperfect instrument. And the author says, even more so, it's a tribute to our Lord that he uses imperfect instruments to establish and build his kingdom. Again, guys, that is the beauty of the gospel. I wish I could go into it, but Romans 5 teaches us, like, the more we realize how huge our sin is, the more we realize how huge God's grace is. And that is such a powerful thing. That is a fueling thing for our lives, to not get stuck, to not be sidelined in our failures, but to let God meet our failure with his grace. All right, that leads us to the last point, number four. Winning is believing. Winning is believing. John 16, 33. And so Jesus kind of finishes this part by saying this. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So again, we have to remember this context, okay? Jesus is making this offer of peace to the disciples at the same time that Judas is plotting his arrest, right? And so Jesus knew that he was about to get arrested, rejected, mocked, humiliated. He was about to be crucified in the next like day or so. And yet there he was offering peace and saying that he has overcome the world. I mean, this kind of reminds me of something that Bryce has always done um, that, that we just laugh at every time. I, I can't help it, but this is what the story reminds me of. But lots of times, you know, from when he was little on, uh, Aaron and Bryce would be wrestling, right? They're wrestling and they'd be going back and forth and having fun and whatever. But there was a point when Aaron was just clear. He's the flailingly stuck and it's like, it's like checkmate. But that's the point when Bryce decides to flail his arms and go, I'm winning, I'm winning as he's completely stuck and has like nothing to do, right? I'm like, at just the moment when it's so obvious that he is lost, he is declaring victory. <laughs> and it cracks us up every time. Like we just laugh and it's like over. Guys, when I think about this situation, I think about this is what it must have looked like to the disciples. Like Jesus is like declaring victory right as he is being beaten, hung on a cross with a crown of thorns placed on his head. And the disciples must have just been looking at him like, Jesus, this does not look like we're winning, right? But once again, we see that winning looks different in the kingdom of God that often, often it looks like losing. 
often it looks like losing. Guys, that's what he is teaching us, that things aren't always as they seem, that things are often completely backwards in the kingdom of God, that death brings life, that grief brings joy, that failure brings grace. And finally, he's teaching us that winning is believing. It's believing the gospel. It's believing that Jesus actually paid it all. It's believing that he rose from the grave, that he conquered death, that no matter what comes our way, that good will come in the end. And that's why he's saying you can have peace. You can have peace. In the midst of anything that comes your way, you can have peace. It's a matter of believing. Now, it's really important that we see here in this last verse that Jesus does not promise peace. I think this is really interesting. He does not promise peace. No, he offers peace. What he promises is trouble. Now, I have a really hard time with this. I don't like this about the gospel, but this is what he said. He says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, period, right? Guys, you don't see that on a lot of coffee mugs, like, I don't, I don't have any, like, word art from Hobby Lobby hanging in my house that says, here on earth, you will have many trials. No, because it doesn't seem like good news. It's not encouraging. I don't like that it's true. But what is good news, what is encouraging, is that Jesus is saying, even in the midst of those troubles, even in the midst of those trials, you can have peace. Guys, winning in this world is not avoiding trouble. It's not about having this perfect, easy, pain-free, struggle-free life. I, I wish that's what winning was. I want that to be what winning is, but that is not winning in this world. Winning, winning is about being able to have peace in the middle of it all. It's about having peace no matter what we face. And the only way to have that peace, no matter what the circumstance, is to believe the gospel to believe the good news, to, be, to believe that this world is not all that there is, to know that Christ, that through Christ, that we've been given eternal life when one day things will finally be all that they should be, when one day there finally will be a time when there is no trouble and there is no trial and there is no sorrow. Guys, Jesus says in this verse, and he says, in the midst of this trouble, we should take heart Another translation says we should take courage or even be of good cheer, which feels like a stretch. But he tells us why. He says it's because I have overcome the world. And guys, the scripture teaches us that because Jesus has overcome the world, that we can overcome the world. And it's all through believing. All right, I'm almost done. This is the last verse. It's so powerful. First John 5, 4 and 5 says this. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In the kingdom of God, winning is believing. And so as we, as we wrap up and David comes on up, I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you that Jesus has taught us over and over again that things aren't always as they seem. And I just pray, I pray for you, I pray for me, I pray for our family, that God would give us kingdom eyes, that he would give us a kingdom perspective, that we would see the things the way that God sees things. Because this world is not like the greatest right now, right? right? It's like there's, there's problems and there's trials and there's sorrow everywhere we look. There's anxiety, there's fear, but God's saying we can have peace in the midst of all of this if we will believe, if we will believe, and if we will see things the way he sees things. 
And even in this crazy, chaotic world, we can even be fruitful. We can even be fruitful if we will die to ourselves so that others can believe. Guys, I pray that he will give us kingdom eyes, that the church will be different from the world because we see the world through different lenses. We see the world through faith. We see the world through kingdom reality. And so this is our time where we go into Selah, which is just a pause where we just, we don't want to just hear a message and go, but we want to hear a message and we want to meet with the Lord. We want to meet with the Lord. And so I encourage you to bow your heads and I'm going to lead us in this time of prayer in Selah as we go through these points. So let's pray. God, God, I pray that you would help us to see how death brings life. Show each of us, Lord, show us how we can die to ourselves to bring life to others. God, you showed us. You showed us what humility looks like, what suffering looks like. You showed us that all of that was worth it. God, we thank you for what you did for us. God, will you help us? Will you help us do that for others? What does that look like? Show us what that looks like. God, will you bring us unspeakable joy even in the midst of pain and suffering in this world? Even in our lament, Lord, we can still have joy. God, bring us joy. Joy that does not come from circumstances, but joy that comes from you and you alone. And God, right now I ask that you would help all of us to offer our failures on our shortcomings to you. God, meet our failures with your grace. Lord, don't let any one of us, you know, be benched or benched ourselves because of our mistakes. God, recommission us to go out into the world to be fishers of men. Remind us of this good news that we get to spread into the world. And finally, God, I ask that you would give us faith to believe. Give us faith to believe. Guys, God, most of us haven't, we haven't seen you with our own eyes, but help us trust. Help us trust these hundreds, if not thousands of people who did see you with their own eyes. And that sight of you changed everything. Guys, God, God, give us eyes to see you now. And Lord, help our faith grow, grow so that we can overcome the world. Lord, give us kingdom eyes. Help us see things the way you see them. And thank you that you are constantly working in us and working in the world and that you promised that you would finish what you started. Help us to trust that God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.